Circle. I'm your host Trish Hyde and today we are joined by Sumangali Krishnan, the Chief Business Officer at GA Circular. Now Sumangali is one of the few fountains of knowledge in Asia on circular economy, on the true circular economy. We met in 2019 at the Plasticity Bangkok uh, event and where she was launching GA Circular's groundbreaking research in plastic pathways to water. Um, so it's with great pleasure that I welcome Samangali today. Hello. Hi, Trish. Thank you so much, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> well, we're chipping away at a very, very large problem. So, yeah. I'm well, that's actually. <laughs> Well, and that is actually the, the key. So one of my very first question is, how did you get into plastic and what are you working on right now? Great. Um, so mine has been, I've always been a bit of a closet environmentalist and my journey has been, uh, I studied economics and, and then uh, and then studied law and became a lawyer and then worked with a lot of small businesses and entrepreneurs. And it, at the back of all of this was always my desire to do something bigger for the environment and always finding myself falling short on, on just personal initiatives. And so I happened to uh, join GA Circular, which was gone adventuring at that point, um, who were already doing incredible work in the sustainability space and having... Um, Having worked with them both as the, they were my clients in, in the legal space as well as, uh, you know, friends. And uh, I think we, uh, my, my goal was for, uh, my goal was to do something a little bit more meaningful in, in the workspace and, and, and to make a career out of it. And so, uh, yeah, that's. That's how I sort of got into it. And then I think the timing was perfect because more and more companies and businesses uh, were being were being called on to um, revisit their sustainability strategy in light of uh, what was happening in terms of waste management and in particular packaging waste and food waste. That's fantastic. And you mentioned uh, gone adventuring, shifting to GA Circular. Uh, I've had the good fortune of meeting a couple of your colleagues um, in, in that journey. And it would surprise some people perhaps that it started out um, as a you know, small innovative business that has grown in reputation and uh, scale and, and work that you're doing. So what would you say to others that have a passion and desire to make a difference but fear that uh that uh hard or fear that that work that goes into setting up a business and making it grow uh i think i think the business opportunities just come i, I think the biggest challenge is convincing uh potential clients of the need 
to engage and invest in the problem as we see it. But um, the fact that, you know, we are passionate about the fact about the incredible amount of packaging waste in the world. Um, and uh, slowly but surely, the rest, everyone's, you know, coming to that same conclusion. But I think... Uh, you sort of need to persist in convincing. I, I remember talk, having, in, I don't know, endless conversations with potential clients about the need to do something in this space and the need for them to start investing. in. And it wasn't even investing in solutions initially. It was just investing in knowing more about what we didn't know, right? And so yep. shedding light on a situation that just um, hasn't been, uh, hasn't been brought forward. And, and I'm going to ask you about the research in a moment um, because I think that's incredibly important. Uh, but before we do, a lot of people are unfamiliar with the waste problems and the waste management of Asia. So how would you, uh, for those outside of Asia, how would you uh, describe waste management and how it differs from Western concepts? Um, in terms of waste management in Asia, in well, the first the first problem, if you will, is that it, in some cases it doesn't exist. It's just there's there isn't a waste management, if you will. Um, it's uh, there isn't an entire system that's catering to the fact that there is. Uh, a large amount of disposal of, of materials and uh, um, traditional ways, which were fine as long as people were living off of their farms or, you know, in a more organic uh, way, it was fine because they would feed scraps to their animals and feed, and then a lot of the waste was organic and it, it sort of just decomposed. But um, I think those uh, those uh, systems are being challenged because of the fact that now we have an incredible amount of plastics and other materials uh, entering uh, entering household uh, disposal mechanisms, and so those are those are challenging the traditional systems. Um, also, populations in Asia are tremendous, and they're growing, and. Uh, municipalities and cities are just not equipped also as a as a uh, you know a prioritization for funding there's so many other competing needs there's health there's education there's um, just house, housing and shelter and all of these are you know fundamental issues that that challenge municipalities and local governments which then deprioritizes uh, waste management and often sometimes to the detriment of the population as well so it's it's not like it's you know there's there's a risk of disease there's a risk of uh, you know poor water quality and, and a lot of other other uh, you know difficult situations but it's it's just too many competing demands on a on a local government and um, that actually is a good segue into the research that you launched uh, because it I just want to make sure that everyone listening understands that this research took you know, many, many years. Um, it was ground. It is groundbreaking in the fact that you connected with informal worker communities in multiple locations across ASEAN. Uh, so, 
tell us what you found through that research. What are the key insights? Um, so the first, the first part is um, is the fact that there is a fair amount of recycling happening for certain material types in these regions. So uh, within the ASEAN network, all of the countries do have a fairly uh, robust informal sector that is trying to extract the materials that can be used for recycling. Um, small and even medium-sized factories and businesses have sprung up, entirely entrepreneurial, obviously, um, that have sprung up recognizing that there is value in the material that is being disposed and that this, this, this value can be recovered through recycling. So recycling exists even though it, uh, it's not something that has been formally introduced within uh, any of these countries. It exists as a business. Now, of course, only some types of materials are picked up and um, those that are easier to recover the value from. So the technology is fairly rudimentary and basic, and uh, but then they're able to extract the uh, material quite quickly. So materials such as PET and HDPE, and uh, they are the ones that are more easily recovered within these markets. Um, the second point is that the fact that the, the informal sector is highly, highly relied on. Uh, for the collection of these materials. So there aren't, uh, you know, source segregated single streams of PET entering the market. There aren't uh, recovery systems that are easy to extract these materials. So um, many of these countries rely on the fact that there, um, there are informal waste pickers, recycling pickers, and junk shops who trade in these materials. And they traded traditionally in paper and glass, and plastics have then entered the space. So, um, and these are the materials that are uh, collected. And uh, the, the third point, which is related to the second, you know, the reliance on the informal sector. Um, we've noticed that in the countries that we see, as countries become richer and less, um, uh, and, and more formalized or more uh, developed, if you will, uh, the informal sector is, is sort of pushed out of the, of, of you know uh, of society, and uh, as a result, the uh, amount of uh, recycling actually goes down. Um, the other part is that you know standards of living rise, and so less and less people are you know it's it's a very low barrier to entry job for informal sector, right? And so they are uh, less incentivized to do that type of work. Um, and so in a country like Myanmar, where uh, you know, the, the even even a, you know someone would be willing to pick up a bottle of PET, even though it commands a relatively low value. Um, so there's a much higher level of recycling in a country like uh, Myanmar, whereas in Malaysia, where you know they have less access to these materials or they're sort of excluded from the waste collection system, um, they are more likely to to not have a very high recycling rate. That's, and that's such a shame. Um, and, and I mean, PET, uh, which is a plastic that is is the highest of value in, in recycled plastic. And we've got companies globally that have made commitments to use more recycled content. So they need this PET and HDP. Um, so 
are, are, are we successful enough in getting plastic out uh, through the waste picking uh, system or, or you know, ha what is actually happening to that PET? Right. Um, so within the ASEAN region, there's a, a substantial gap between what you just mentioned in terms of the the uh, plastics or the recycled material that goes back into production, into a packaging application, if you will. So some things like, so, uh, like for example, PET, when you're looking at a bottle-to-bottle -bottle application of PET, um, it, that's a very high-end application. You need to make sure that the, the quality of the plastic is good enough that it can be, A, turned into a bottle, um, which means that it has to have uh, the right amount of viscosity, it has to have the right amount of strength when it's really blown into a bottle. Um, but not just that, it also has to have low enough levels of contamination that it is safe to be used as food packaging. So that's that's the the that's the most circular approach, right? Like that's the end goal. But then the materials that are collected out of of uh, municipal solid waste in the regions that we're looking at are extremely contaminated, have been exposed to sunlight, they've been sitting out in bales for a large amount of time. They are um, they are denatured to some degree, and so the and also the applications that they can be called into are probably much lower value applications, which means that we, they don't command such a high price. And so yeah. there's not as much of an incentive to collect them as well. So there's a big gap that needs to be uh, traversed, if you will, to get to a point where we can, we can safely say that there's a circular economy around PT. Um, and, and in, it can't. We can't jump right into doing bottle-to-bottle PET, -bottle especially in the ASEAN region. Um, to some degree, it was these uh, economies are supported by imports, so they bring in PET from other countries where there has been, you know, whether there's, you know, there could be a, a DRS system, a, a deposit. Uh, collection of bottles where those bottles are then much cleaner, not contaminated. They come in as a single stream of material. And so they allow for a higher quality of recycling production. But as import restrictions come in, as there are, you know, and, and, and these countries need to become more resilient and more locally self-sufficient on their um, on their own markets. We're looking at a very different stream. And so it, it we sort of almost have to build up towards a recycling system. So starting with maybe a strapping application and then making sure that feedstock can, can come into that application and then building up to the next level of higher quality, maybe fiber, and then maybe going up to a bottle mm -hmm. So there's a great amount of work to be done. Um, one of the one of the uh, pieces that I would love to uh, just get your personal view on is doing this kind of research that you've you've done. You're actually you get uh, close to the informal community. Uh, you're you're exposed to to seeing the way they live. You know what work they're doing, and it's it's dirty work, um, as well as seeing the consequences of plastic not recovered. Um, how? What are your impressions? How? You know, how do you cope with such a, a difficult role, but an important role, but difficult? Right. 
Um, I don't, uh, I think we've sort of been on ground enough to now be uh, a, not, not be shocked by anything that we see, right? And so we're on ground, we see a lot of uh, things that are, uh, could be challenging, but it, it, it's, it's so much a part of the world we live in and, and, and it's so much a part of our reality. And I think it's important for, for not only us to see, for the rest of the world to see it. So we try and, and bring back pictures. And, and um, it, you know, the population that typically works in this space is often a migrant population. Um, they have come from someplace else. So many people working in the waste sector across the world, across all of these uh, regions, are people that don't necessarily belong to that same community. So there's a very low barrier to entry for informal work uh, in the waste space and they can come in and they are not chewed away for doing this work because they provide an essential service, right? So this allows them some sort of, uh, you know, reluctant acceptance, right, within the community because they're doing a task that no one else wants to do. And so, um, you know, fine you can stay here and, and work here, right? And they're taking away, uh, you know, a problem. And so that's that's definitely one very uh, uh, important point that we've come across. The other aspect is that they are, uh, they're all entrepreneurs, you know? And so they're all trying to make a living and they're all trying to, you know, uh, make a business out of it. So there's the, especially the ones, you know, the ones that start establishing a shop or, you know, or, or, or create a, a network of collectors. And so there's real entrepreneurial efforts and they are quite, you know, good about identifying opportunities within the space. That said, I think one of the biggest challenges is the fact that they are very, very vulnerable. And I think the current climate, the current COVID climate really uh, not just I think it highlights the fact that they're so vulnerable but it also it you know it it's it it points out that you know any sort of crisis can impact these people so dramatically and so um, you know it, it can be so challenging for these communities um, and this particular one has been you know quite harsh yes yeah incredibly harsh and um, it's, it's important to remember that you know these people are uh, vulnerable and but essential. Um, uh, I had uh, I recall uh, someone from the UN mentioning that you know, if you bring in technology to to do waste management, you displace a whole people a whole group of people that value that income. Um, so we've got we've got a very complex and different system in Asia to create circular economy. But you you are still optimistic and and positive about this. What what do you want to say to others about uh, what you know, what gives you optimism? How do you know we are going to achieve circular economy in Asia? Um, I think inherently, just you know, there are some aspects of of human culture, right? Behavior and culture that I think we can tap into. Um, I think the fact that uh, you know, in Asia and, uh, you know, there is an inherent, um, you know, identification of finding value in things and, make, and, and you know, being able to make do or to make better with, with you know, materials that are, uh, you know, and not allowing to, to uh, not allowing things to go to waste. So I think we can tap into some of those sentiments. Of course, we lose them along the way as we develop and become, you know, 
cool and so <laughs> Uh, but I think we can tap, tap back into some of our inherent um, nature and and also start, you know, I, I think people are definitely becoming more and more aware of the problem as we are studying it and as we recognize it. And um, there's a lot of a lot of people along the value chain, I mean, amongst the recycling pickers and the waste pickers and as well as in communities that are really, really um, hopeful and, and uh, working very hard. They're working really hard in order to resolve the issue. So, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, the conditions are less than ideal, even in formal waste collection, not just informal waste collection. Yeah. And uh, they're less than ideal, but you know, these are happy people. They're still doing their job. They're still getting out there. So it's all about making sure that we get all of this information. You know, what is recyclable? What are the conditions under which they're getting recycled? Um, what are these materials and what are the challenges affecting the informal sector? As long as we're putting this information out there, we're bringing it out to the right people. And of course, the, the you know, there's enough investors and funders and and uh, businesses that also want to do something about it. So I feel like it's just about making the right connections at this point. That's fantastic because it is. It, it's a, it's about all working together and making that happen. Right. So just uh, my, my last question is I'd love to know just a little bit more about what GA Circular is working on now or if you can share, you know, what, what's, what's taking you that next step? Yeah. So, of course, we're still doing a lot of, you know, uh, research into different material types and how they're flowing through these economies. But I think also looking at what can be done across the entire value chain. So going all the way up to resin producers and converters and, and seeing what their applications are, seeing, understanding what technologies exist to absorb these materials as they come out of the post-consumer stream. So that's definitely the, you know, um, the core of what we do. In addition, I think what we've been really focusing on is examining policy and identifying and prioritizing which policies and what policy applications are really essential for this space. Um, and also looking at behavior change and behavior change strategy um, and identifying opportunities to address that. So, you know, really looking at it from a very broad uh, broad lens, but then making sure that ultimately the, the, you know, the issue that we're trying to solve is to find ways to make sure that this material goes back into the economy the best way it can. That's fantastic. It's been wonderful chatting. Thank you yeah, so much. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And it's so good to see you. It's wonderful to see you. Thank yeah. you, Samangali. Um, that's it for today's show. Uh, thank you very much to all our listeners. And casting off. Bye. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Plastic Circle. For more information, go to theplasticcircle.com. <laughs>